From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. It was one of the most memorable gifts we received when my first son was born, a personalized children's book based on his name. We must have read it a thousand times when he was a toddler, and every time he was just as amazed as the first that the story was all about him. The book was written by Maya Haig, co-founder and CEO of I See Me, which is now the largest publisher of personalized books in the U.S. I See Me has sold millions of books for kids and expanded to books for parents pets and dads and grandparents, too. Maya has won numerous awards for entrepreneurship and business leadership from local magazines like TCB and nationals like People Magazine, which featured her as a mompreneur. I wrote about I See Me when it was just gaining traction years ago, and I'm excited to talk to Maya today about the publishing industry and turning an idea into a successful business at the intersection of publishing, technology, and e-commerce. Maya, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. How many years has it been now? When did you start I See Me? It has almost been 20 years. Uh, the, the website launched in May of 2000. Okay. So next year we're having our 20th anniversary. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Would you have ever thought that you would be doing this no, 20 years later? N- no idea. I mean, I, when we first launched, I was hopeful mm-hmm. that this might happen, but here we are. It's 20 years later. Well, take us back. You were pregnant when you came up with the idea, or did you already have a baby? Well, I was pregnant, um, and actually, by the time we actually came up with the idea, our first child had been born, but the whole thing started when I was still pregnant in terms of the thinking process. And what was the thinking process? I had come back from business school ready to start a new business. Harvard Business School, we yes, should say. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I had uh, been working at General Mills for several years post-business school. Mm-hmm. And in what kind of roles? In marketing, in uh, marketing management for mostly kid brands and snacks, cereals. And my husband, meanwhile, Alan, had been running a graphic design firm. He was a General Mills ex also. He used to work at General Mills in graphic design and had been running a graphic design firm firm. And he was looking to create some sort of business or business that would have a product that he could design. And I was looking to just have the joy and fulfillment of starting a business of some sort. And so we were thinking something in the world of kids, because that was my marketing background, was in kids marketing, and something that could be printed to leverage his design skills. And I was sitting in a seminar paid for by General Mills, um, (laughs) where they asked us to write our personal mission for life and our career mission for life. Interesting. And for my career mission, I said, I really want to start a business of some sort. And my husband uh, also was, again, looking for a product that he could design. And so at the time, we were thinking maybe printed cards for kids, but nothing was really feeling very unique in that. And then we received a personalized book as a gift for our new baby, so right after he was born, mm-hmm. from my cousin. And my husband and I looked at it and said, we think we can do that way better than what we just received because the storyline was sort of schlocky. The illustrations weren't that great, but we still loved it because it you was loved about the, our baby. Right, uh, the idea of so, it. So then strolling around Lake Calhoun with our baby in a stroller, I was coming up with different book ideas. And every night, this is when I was on maternity leave, every night I would come home and throw out different ideas to my husband. And uh, the idea for my very own name stuck. And that was the name of the first book, that was My the Very the Own Name. Book. That's yes. the book that we received it when is. my little guy was born. Oh, that's great. And t- explain a little bit about how the story works. So in My Very Own Name, animals find a uh, bassinet in a fantasy land and they gather around to name the child. And so if the child's name is Allison, the alligator brings the A, the lamb brings the L, the inchworm brings the I, and they spell the child's first and last name in rhyme, and then they celebrate because they've created the perfect name. So people give it as new baby gifts, birthday, baptism. 
and it eventually the child will start to learn to recognize the letters in their name and learn how to spell their name. Right. Was it challenging to come up with an animal for every letter? I'm really impressed that you did that. I spent some time uh, <laughs> researching animals. and What's your you animal? Consternating over the letter U. That was the hardest one of, of all. We have a unicorn. Oh, there you go. Which isn't quite right because so, they're not really in the no. forest, but we had to go, go with it. We had to go with it. And then we have an umbrella bird. There's such a thing as an umbrella bird. That's and convenient. those are our two U's. So, so you come up with this idea of a personalized book. Very clever idea. Your husband designs it, right? Yes. How do you actually put it out there? Because not only is publishing a challenge, just getting any book written and published, but you're talking about doing something that's going to be individual for every single customer. Yes. So the first thing that I did was ordered every personalized book on the market I could find. So we these books kept showing up at our house. Um, and the good news was that they were all equally low quality. And so that was a great start. And then um, the next step was I remember being in the backyard with our baby on a blanket, writing the drafts for my very own name. And and then my husband and his graphic design firm sourced the illustrator um, and provided the input in terms of the design, and then they ended up designing the, the book. But he provided the input from the very beginning in terms of the look and feel of the book. And through his help, we hired an illustrator who painted oil paintings for the book. Hmm. And so... We needed 52 animals in order to not only have the alphabet, but have it multiple times over so that if you have multiple E's in your name, we had about four animals with the letter E. And so the illustrator painted all these by hand. It took him almost two years to do that. That's amazing. And at the time, this was in the age of faxes. So, And he lived in, I think, Michigan. And so he would fax us sketches, and then we would look at them, uh, provide feedback, send them back. And so slowly the artwork started being produced uh, over this two-year period. Did you stay at General Mills during this time? So what happened was I had taken a six-month maternity leave, um, and I decided at the end of that to not go back to General Mills, and I, I went to my boss, who I had a very good relationship with, the president of Snacks at the time, and said, I'm not coming back. I'm going to be starting this children's book business with my husband. And he said, okay. I mean, you could tell <laughs> look in his eyes was, good luck with that. And he said, if you'd like to come back, just let me know, you know, in whenever how I could, I could just tell he was thinking, however long it takes you to realize this isn't going to work, mm -hmm. just call me back and, and you're welcome to come back, which just gave me that much more gumption to make Did it, it work. That didn't freak you out. No, it just made me want to prove him wrong. <laughs> right. Okay. And, um, and then the next steps were, I did a lot of research I ended up uh, taking three months to write the business plan and really researching how we were going to produce these books, distribute them, market them. And then um, and then after that, it was a matter of several other steps that we had to go through in order to actually launch. Okay. So the book's finally ready. Yes. You're, you're ready to launch. How do you do that? This is before social media. is before social media, You can't yes. set up an Instagram yes. page or a Facebook page for the book. How did you let people know this even existed? Right. Well, so first on the, on the book production end of it, this was also before the age of digital presses. And so what we had to do, and this is where my husband's expertise came in again, he had been working with commercial printers. And so our, our attack, our plan of attack was to develop printing schedules where we had all the letter A's printed, all the letter B's printed, all the letter C's mm. of the animals bringing their letters mm -hmm. that were printed on very high quality paper on professional presses. And then at the beginning... Because whether your name is Amy or Anne, the A page in the book is going to be the same. Yes. It's just your exactly. unique name yes, shows up Yes, the mix of animals in the letter. Uh, the, the beginning, middle, and end of the book is the same, and the mix of animals would be different in every book. So yes. there's some efficiencies, but there are some pages that have to be unique to each yes. buyer, right? Yes, and so what we did at the beginning is we would 
send those uh, pre-printed pages through a laser printer to overlay the personalized copy. We don't do it that way anymore. Hmm. Now it's a digital press that Mm -hmm. starts with white paper and the book comes out the other end. Mm -hmm. So we had to print all of that inventory of A to Z letters ahead of time. And where were, were did you buy your own printers? So, or no, how did you we do went this? through a commercial printer and my grandmother by chance my grandmother had passed away shortly before that and she left me a small nest egg um, that was just enough to cover the printing of all of that paper. Mm-hmm. And so that's that was how we financed it at the very beginning. Hmm. And we found a fulfillment center in Cannon Falls that could bind the books and, and and I had to figure out how to bind the book. So I started calling binderies all over the U.S. They were ping-ponging me all over the U.S. And finally, I found a place in Minnesota that could do the binding of the books in Cannon Falls. And that's where we used to print the books. So the first part of this was just figuring out how we were going to physically make these books and bind them one by one. Did you talk to anyone in the publishing industry? No it- one in the publishing industry, not once. <laughs> and part of that was because... Personalized books were not a thing that public that large publishers did for many, many years until the last couple of years, actually. Large publishers were not in this space. And so I knew that if I contacted a large publisher, they look at me cross-eyed. Mm-hmm. Just why do you want to produce one-off books? And um, so I never even approached publishers. It was all, and the internet was there. This was in 1998. So the internet was there. I do remember doing research on AOL uh, to try to figure out how to <laughs> how to find a bindery. But it was a lot of phone calling and just just letting people know that I was new to this. I had a lot of questions and I was trying to find a way to bind the books and so just researching one person after another, speaking to them, trying to figure this out. That's amazing. So so you figure out the process, but I'm so fascinated then what were you thinking as far as how were you going to sell this thing? Yes. How are people going to even find yes. you? So because we found out that the illustrator needed two years to, to illustrate the book, I, at that time, we were a newly married couple, we were a um, dual-income household, and I thought, well, I really can't just sit around for two years <laughs> waiting for the illustrator to, to illustrate the book. And so I ended up taking a day job at an internet startup with five of us, and I was the marketing person, and that the CEO of that business raised a couple million dollars for this startup. So I went from the elephant to the mouse, from General hmm. Mills to this little tiny company, and that company went bankrupt within about a year. And so during the day I was doing that, realizing what not to do starting a business, which was to blow through so much cash before you knew that you had a good business model that worked. And then I went to go work for another internet startup that also went bankrupt. Um, So I went through that process twice of watching that happen. The second one I left right before they went bankrupt. Were you consciously choosing internet startups? I mean, did you want yes. to try to start learning yes, that Yes, very space? much so, very much so. Both of them were internet startups. Were you? Were we far enough along? I mean, you mentioned AOL, and you, I mean, right. it's hard to even remember <laughs> yes. where our heads were like in yes. the late 90s, but I mean, did you sort of see the future that like well, you're going to be able to sell this thing through this thing called the internet? The internet was completely on fire. I remember being at General Mills feeling like I was enclosed within four walls and I needed to get out and go start something and with this new internet thing mm-hmm. it was the hot topic and it was definitely already identified as a source of significant entrepreneurial opportunity okay and so that part was very clear um, and at these two internet companies where I worked as uh, the head of marketing at one and head of business development at the other I I learned what not to do, and I also learned a bit about internet marketing because I was put in charge of doing that. And it was the wild, wild west. No one knew what we were doing, including the agencies that we hired. Everyone Mm -hmm. was just trying to figure it out. And so I suppose the good news is I was um, I learned a lot during both of those experiences. The bad news is I was part of the team that blew through the cash, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and, and the marketing. Mm-hmm. But I did learn at the time Yahoo stores were the thing in terms of being able to create a store without having to know programming. I was an English major in college, and so um, I had I learned the back end process of start of using a Yahoo store while I was there. I learned about affiliate marketing when I was there, uh, which is when you have one website that links to you and you give them a commission sure. on the sale. Which is still a thing still today. Still there, yes. And paid search marketing was not there. 
Um, organic results were were still part of the conversation at the time, but it was at the time people were trying paying for email addresses. There was a lot of things that and display ads. You know, there are a lot of things that people were just trying out Crazy. at the beginning there. Yeah. So starting a CME, I was able to take some of that experience, and I created my own Yahoo store, uh, which we had for a good ten years before we finally moved off that off that platform, mm-hmm. and and use a little bit of that um, internet marketing background to be able to do it. I remember one of the first marketing programs that we have is actually my husband's idea, which was to um, get people to represent our books as sales reps, uh, sales enthusiasts is what we called them. And we gave them- The original influencers. The original (laughs) influencers, yes, who did this verbally as opposed to online. Uh And we gave them a free shipping code and- uh, this was an idea to give them the free shipping code, and every time that free shipping code was used, we gave them a kickback on hmm. the purchases. And that worked quite well. We had over 100 sales enthusiasts for a while. Of course, out of that is the 80-20 rule. 20 of them were actually doing anything, and 80 you know, were not. Mm-hmm. Originally, um, what? okay, so you, you set up this Yahoo store. Yes. Um, but, I mean, were people just wandering around the Internet on Yahoo, like, browsing? Like, I'm just trying to imagine, how did those first customers even find you, or was was the it word of mouth? The first customers were my friends and relatives. Okay. That literally. And yeah. I remember um, cousins, aunts, uh, friends. Yeah. And that was fun seeing the orders come through and actually fulfilling the orders. And then... It started with word of mouth because once the good, the great news about having a business as a baby gift is once you give the gift, the receiver then may decide to give the book to the next sure. person. And the website was in the back of the book as well as our 1-800 phone number. Yeah. And so <laughs> – and so that, I think, is where it really started was word of mouth at I'm the beginning. S- I'm so fascinated. I'm just trying to think back because my son is 14 and I'm trying to. And the people who gave it to us, our friends Peter and Jessica from Chicago, gave us the book. We had never seen it. I just wonder how they knew about well, it. Well, at the beginning, it really was a lot of word of mouth. And, and again, it was the snowball effect of you give it to someone, they like it, they go to our website, they give it to someone. That baby circuit is a good place yes. to be because people are always looking for gift ideas yes. and they're willing to spend a little money. Yeah. Yes. So at the very beginning, again, it was friends and relatives at the beginning, and then that, and then we turned some of those friends and relatives and early customers into sales enthusiasts to be to get the word out. And then I do remember hiring a PR executive, an individual, uh, Teresa McFarland, who had been working uh, in PR herself sure. and uh, working for a large PR firm, and she was going off to start her own business. And so she represented us. Uh, and it was a, a good investment because she got the word out with the Star Tribune, with Pioneer Press, yep. local TV. And so that was some of the early awareness that we were able to generate. So using that local angle to say it's a local entrepreneur with a local mm-hmm. business is how we started. Um, Pioneer Press would have been me back then. That yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, that's where I was back in those days. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, I remember writing about you. So it, it's funny. Do you, do you ever think now like people still... Starting businesses or brands or products today, they've got it so easy. I mean, it was it was so much more work. It was harder for sure at the beginning. Now it's becoming crowded even within the internet in terms of influencers and trying to get their attention. Mm-hmm. But I always recommend starting local first because you have that local story, the local angle. And the media loves to share stories. I was on Saturday morning news quite mm-hmm. a few times as local entrepreneur with a fun product that was visual in this case. Um, and so that local angle is a great place to get awareness early. So when, what were some of the early milestones that, I mean, when did you really feel like this is something, this is, this is going to be a real thing? So after Teresa helped us get into the, the Pioneer Press, it was just a little picture of our book with a little paragraph. That's all it was, new products. Um, and... There was a magazine. There was a catalog called Wireless Catalog that used to sell products to raise money for uh, Minneapolis Public Radio, 
And some a buyer from Wireless Catalog saw the book in the Pioneer Press and contacted me saying, we'd like to put our book in your catalog. So that was a great win at the beginning, which in that catalog ended up being purchased by Dayton's, um, and it became the uh, Dayton Direct catalog for a while. So that was a great way of getting the book out. And again, the website was in the back, and so that snowball effect was happening. Mm-hmm. So remember, that was an early win. And then the other one, was a bit of good luck, I would say. Um, L.L. Bean decided that they wanted to carry a personalized book, so they searched for personalized books online. Hmm. And our website popped up, and they contacted me. That's and amazing. so we got into L.L. Bean. So I always say a great business starts with a great product or great service because it speaks for itself. Yeah. So did it, did it work seamlessly like you you'd spent all this time setting it up you spent all the time getting the illustrations figuring out your publishing process once you got rolling and whether it's friends putting in the orders right. or our actual customers did it just work seamlessly or were there glitches along the way this is a complicated thing you were trying to right. pull off right the order process worked quite well because we started small and we did so much testing at the very beginning. And again, it was friends and family who weren't really paying attention to whether it really took the amount of time that we said it would mm. take. You know, so there were, we had a ramp up that really enabled us to prove out our processes on the back end. So that process went quite well. I think the the first major hitch that I remember experiencing was the recession. Hmm. And so it, it, the business grew it grew a little faster than our projections at the beginning how long did it take to make money we made money in year three okay and so and i still remember in mean, year one our revenues were around 70 something thousand in year two we were at 300 something thousand because of those catalog pickups and then uh and then it jumped pretty quickly to a million and then two million so it 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 ramped quickly and we just had the one book title at the beginning mm-hmm. and it came back to the fact that people really just like the product and so that word of mouth was helping to to spread the word at the beginning. Um, so it was during the recession that we had a, a dip in our sales. And I remember being concerned about where this was going to go. And then um, we definitely had some situations later in the business cycle that hit us that definitely threw us for a loop. When did you start introducing new products to new titles because you have how many how many different titles do you publish well, now, now we have over 50 titles in our line That's and we also have personalized puzzles and growth charts and stickers and placemats and ornaments and various different products that use the illustrations from the book mm-hmm. um, but at the beginning it was just my very own name and my my time was spent on gaining distribution for the book. I The other thing that I did at the beginning that I forgot to mention was I myself walked into baby stores around the Twin Cities area and said, will you carry this book? Hmm. And learn through by walking into one bookstore, um, or actually it was a baby gift store, asking if there was an agent that called on her that represented products. She gave me the name of her sales agent, and then that agent took it on and represented it to other to other stores. So... Did you enjoy that part of it? I mean, for some people, it seems like, you know, it's creating the thing or the idea. For some people, it's, you know, growing the business. What what part did you I enjoy? love figuring stuff out. Okay. I do. I love having a problem and having to figure it out. And the rush of figuring out something that I didn't know before. And so that that is something that helps drive me. And it's fun when you have a new product that you're enjoying showing and people are responding to it and wanting to help you out. And because I was very honest and said, I'm new, I don't know this industry, can you help me out? Uh, people were very willing to step forward and do that. Mm-hmm. I was definitely one of those enthusiasts without being labeled as such. <laughs> I mean, once once we received the book, I started giving and it was like the best gift. So genius and everyone would remember it. I remember, though, you know, for a while, I felt like I knew something that other people didn't. And then I remember all of a sudden you were at Nordstrom. Yes. And I started seeing, and celebrities are, are touting the book, and Courtney Cox is a fan, and yes. Jessica Alba. And you know how, how that happened? How? One, someone gave 
my very own name to a celebrity. I don't know who was the first celebrity. And then that celebrity started giving it to their celebrity friends. And so it, it, it entered the celebrity circle. Once you're in Hollywood, boy. <laughs> so that that was not something that I was able to make happen. That happened organically. That's amazing. Uh, so it wasn't that you paid a publicist no. to give it to Courtney Cox no. or someone. And, and it, it went to Gwyneth Paltrow. It went to Brooke Shields. Um there were various um, different celebrities who gave it to each other, and they, you know, they and all would know. you know, like you'd see the order come in, well, and so you would our know fulfillment center. it was for Apple. Yes, <laughs> well, Apple, as, as as a matter of fact, is what tipped us off at the beginning because um, our fulfillment center in Cannon Falls called me one day and said. We just made a book for Apple Paltrow. And they said there's only <laughs> one Apple. Apple Martin, actually. Apple Martin. Right? Okay. Chris yes, that Martin, must have been who Gwyneth it was. Paltrow, yeah. Good memory. <laughs> so they called me and they said there's not a lot of apples in the world. Right. And, and with the address, we knew it was. And, and, and I was very respectful. We called their agents and said, am I allowed to say that this book was given? And we were given permission by some agents of those various celebrities and not given permission by others. And mm-hmm. so we were, we were respectful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, which probably helped because if I had done something that they didn't appreciate, it might have stopped. Sure. But did that help you grow nationally? It's, it definitely did, it? did because now uh, on our PR efforts, we were able to say as purchased by, Brooke Shields was one of the ones who gave us permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooke Shields has purchased it. Courtney Cox has purchased it. And that gave it a little uh, oomph mm-hmm. in the PR world to be able to get it covered. Mm-hmm. So that definitely helped at That's... the beginning. So um, things are chugging along. You start. Did you start gradually introducing more products, or did that happen all right. at once? So my husband's design firm had had um, designed the book. They were designing all the marketing materials for this at the same time, and uh, my focus was mostly on getting distribution and marketing going, and making sure that the fulfillment process was working. And I honestly think that I was concerned about whether a second book would fly the way the first one had. Mm. I think I was a little um, unsure hmm. about that, of, of what to do now, you know, for, for a second item. And so finally in 2006, so six years later after the first book launched, um, princesses and fairy little girls dressed up as fairies came to our door for Halloween and it really inspired me to write a book for girls. And so... Um, do you have daughters, sons? Now I do. We have okay. two boys and a girl. But at the time, I did not. You were uh, all boy. I was all boy <laughs> at the time. And uh, so it was these princesses and fairies that came to the door. So I ended up writing my very own fairy tale. And then Alan found another phenomenal illustrator for that. And his firm designed that book. And my very own fairy tale went really well because... Our customer's been waiting six years for us to introduce another title, and it was something new and fun. And now if there were two kids in the family, they could give my very own name to one and my very own fairy tale to the other. So that did really well. And I did not start actually hiring a leadership team until about 2008 or nine. So was it just you and your husband? Yes, at the beginning, because I was so concerned about going bankrupt from having watched two companies go bankrupt, I was determined to pull this up by my own bootstraps and with, with Alan. No and investors, no, no outside? No investors. And so it really was organic growth, reinvesting the money that was made in marketing. And did he, did your husband keep a day job? What were you guys living on in those early? Well, he had his own graphic design firm, um, Hague Design. And so he was running that um, with his employees and he had corporate clients. So that was completely running the family in okay. terms of the, the that income. That helps, though. It yeah. Oh, it definitely does. Um, and did you know he he I did that for years, and I see me was the other business going at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful for sure. So at a certain point, you have to start hiring people, and this becomes like a real company. Yes. Was what was that transition like? So in two thousand nine, ironically, still during the uh, recession. It really became clear that we needed new products. And my very own fairy tale had done well, but that was three years earlier already at this point. And so through a friend of a friend, we met with um, a woman named Jennifer Dewing who was a writer who and a marketer herself. And at the beginning, I hired her to write a concept uh, for my very own name. So she started writing for my very own, for, for our business, for I See Me. And 
ended up writing over 10 books by mm. the time we were done. Uh, she did a beautiful job with it, and she ended up leaving what she was doing and working on the marketing for I See Me also. And so, but at the beginning, my tactic was to find really smart women who were on maternity leave and or just home with young kids who wanted to use all their creativity and, and intelligence and passion for something without having to do it 40 hours a week. And so that is how the original leadership team started being built. And no full-timers. No full-timers. Again, I was probably overly conservative yeah. at the beginning, but it was what exactly do we need and how can we do this in a way where we get great talent without having to break the bank. Interesting. So how big was I See Me? How big was the company when you decided to sell? We were probably $5 million okay. uh, in revenues at and the time. And how many did you have full-time employees yes, by then? Yes, at that point, we, it was a whole different game. Okay. Um, so after hiring that first employee in uh, 2009... I realized how helpful that was to have, <laughs> yeah. to have a really good employee. And then I, and, and I want more of yes, these. Yes. And, and I realized the business at that point had enough traction and was cash flowing and mm -hmm. it really made sense. And so at that point, um, I started hiring a whole leadership team. And now we have a phenomenal leadership team for ICME. And that, that really made a difference for the business as, as one would expect mm -hmm. to, to bring in that level of talent. And I wish, looking back, I wish I'd started it earlier, Interesting. Uh, but I know why I drag my feet. Yeah. Um, how did you do when it's your baby, it's your product, it's your vision, and for so long, like, you don't have to explain that to anyone. Suddenly, you have other people working for you. They probably have some ideas. Did you like leading others or mentoring, or was that a, was that a tough transition right. for you? I think sometimes on the book development end, it... it I had to learn to let go. I'm still having to learn to let go on the book development end because I love that creative process. You like writing? I love writing, although now I write a book maybe once every two years, whereas in the past, you know, prior to that, I was writing more frequently. So having a fellow person um, writing books was new to me, and I really had to learn to let go and trust, and she did a phenomenal job, and we would edit each other's work, so that, that helped. So that was harder. Um, it's always been easier for me to let go of certain areas where, uh, such as operations, finance, um, there are certain parts of technology, there are certain parts of the business that are a little easier for me to let go. Mm -hmm. The areas where I come from, marketing, business development, and product development, is probably where I have to work harder to make sure that I'm not in the weeds. Sure. Even that today. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I alluded to the sale in 2014. Yes. You decided to actually sell I See Me to yes. Chronicle. Books. Yes. Yes. So my husband and I had been working on this business now for a lot of years, and he had dedicated his design team to I See Me at a certain point because. Um, as we were developing more and more products, his design team was more and more integral, and we were needing his time more and more. Mm -hmm. And so um, at this point, we're really working together on the business day in, day out. And we realized that a lot of competition was starting to come in around 2014. Some large publishers had kind of woken up and realized that the personalized book space was growing and an opportunity for them. And I suppose it must have been easier once Now digital presses are, yes, yeah. completely the barrier to entry went down once, barrier, once digital presses came about. Mm -hmm. And so as we looked at these large publishers coming in, the concern was, are we going to be able to maintain our number one position? Are we going to are we going to run over or not? And we have a, a cousin who I had a long conversation with over Christmas who is talking about how um, her family coffee business, that they wish they had sold a little earlier because they got run over by Starbucks and Caribou. And, and it, it felt like the right time to sell. We were on a high, we were doing well, but not sure about where things were going to go and felt like we needed a partner behind us who could really invest. Did you go looking for a partner or were people coming to you wanting to buy the business? At that point, we went to go look for a partner. We, I was getting calls from VCs um, who wanted to invest at that point, but not 
not companies looking to come purchase us. And so we felt that the way for us to maintain our leadership position was to partner with a really strong company who could bring us that publishing expertise that clearly I didn't have, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, with my background, and bring us the publishing expertise and bring us that um, investment capability and international capability that would enable us to be even stronger. And so... Uh, and I had created a board of advisors, which I really recommend to anyone starting a business, who were very helpful. We met quarterly, and um, it was a, a great group of people that uh, were on this advisory board team. And one of them had met the president of a publisher in Chicago um, and offered to introduce me to that person, which I was hesitant at first because they were already a competitor. They had gone into the space, and I thought, why would I meet with a competitor? I really don't want to meet with a competitor. <laughs> And and our my advisor said, you know what? You should always meet with your competition. Uh, it can never hurt, and sometimes it helps. And so we met with her, and we were starting to think about this concept of should we sell. And she, as soon as we contacted her saying we'd like to meet, she flew to Minneapolis, met us within the next week, and said we'd like to buy you. And and that wasn't the right fit for various reasons with that company. Um but we had been aware of Chronicle Books in California. Um, actually, I should say Chronicle did reach out to us the year before because they were moving into the personalized book space and they were debating whether to buy or build. Mm. And they had contacted us, but we were in the middle of a lawsuit and I knew that wasn't going to work to be purchased right then. And so I didn't open up that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And then a year later when we thought, well, maybe this would be the right thing for us, I recontacted Chronicle Books. And that has been a, a, a phenomenal uh, partnership. So often it seems that when an entrepreneur sells to a bigger company, maybe they stay on for a year, maybe not even. It yes. doesn't usually last the way it has with you. Why does it work? You are now the CEO, but you don't own the That's company correct. anymore. That's correct. So I wasn't sure if it was going to work for the long haul. But uh, the McAvoy Group is the name of the holding company that owns four publishing companies. And Chronicle Books is one of them. And now we're one of those four. And when the McAvoy Group purchased us, they had a philosophy of allowing the companies to run autonomously. There's HR is centralized and certain elements are centralized, but they really looked for companies that were running well, that had a hold on a certain aspect of the market and that had a team that they felt could continue to grow the business. And so that with that philosophy, it's been a great it's been a great purchase for us because my boss is the president of the McAvoy group who used to run Chronicle Books who brings an enormous amount of publishing knowledge and business expertise. And at the same time, they give us the freedom to make decisions. I mean, we have to explain why if we're making a big investment. But they give us enough autonomy to run the business that it's working. Uh, and it, it's been a good relationship. What was the biggest change once you were owned by somebody else? I think the accountability financially every single month to... Uh, I remember before we were purchased, we closed the books every month and we would analyze the financials every month. Sometimes if it was a busy time of year, we might close a good month after the previous month and we might analyze it then five or six weeks after the previous month. And we gave ourselves a little bit of that wiggle room uh, to be able to do that. Once we were purchased, that was not an option, which has been a really good thing because it is that accountability is even higher mm-hmm. now um, to analyzing the business every month. And if we are going to make an investment, making sure that we have the right rationale for it. Do um, what were there certain parameters that you put on things when when you sold, saying that you know it has to stay in Minneapolis or where? I mean, what what were your conditions? For selling, I have to think back on that. I I remember creating a list of the top five things that we wanted in a purchaser, and we wanted a company that could bring expertise to us that we did not have otherwise. We wanted a company that was not going to come in and lay off a lot of our employees, and we did have one potential purchaser whose first questions to us were, "How can you reduce your expenses?" Even though we were profitable and Mm -hmm. a very healthy company financially, their first question was, "Who can you let go? How can you reduce expenses?" And Yikes. How, and yes, and and they were looking to roll part of our product line into what they were doing. 
which wasn't our goal to, to do that. And so it was more about up front stating these are the things that we're looking for in a purchaser and then listening carefully as they were interviewing us to understand where did they want to go with it. Mm-hmm. And the McAvoy Group is a, is a, a group of publishers who love the art of the book. They love the art of creating a beautiful book that is um, distinguished high quality. So that fit with our ethos also. Uh, We did not want to go with a purchaser who would turn us into a value player. Sure. So where's the company at today? You have how many employees, how many products, how many readers? Right. So we have about 25 employees today. And as you mentioned at the beginning, we've sold millions of copies of our books. We have hundreds of thousands of customers. And we have really expanded as a company. We are not only direct-to-consumer through icme.com, but we have various strategic partnerships. Um, recently, we partnered with Shutterfly. And that was that came about partially because during the sale process, we contacted, I contacted Shutterfly and said, would you like to purchase us? And we got an audience with their CEO. We were a little too small. He was interested. We were a little too small for them at the time. But, um, and then our head of business development has done an excellent job over several years of building that relationship and making sure they're very aware of us. And so they decided they wanted to get into personalized books. They contacted us because we'd already been in communication with them. And now we're their exclusive partner. We produce some personalized books just for them that we co-brand I See Me and Shutterfly. And then we have other books that are I See Me books that they pick up and carry on Shutterfly. So that's um, just one example of the types of partnerships that we put together now. Do you find do you, in your downtime when you're strolling around or driving in the car, are you thinking about new book ideas and characters? Are you thinking about strategic partnerships or leadership? What, what part of this really fuels you? I really love the business aspect of this business. When I'm in the car, I listen to podcasts about entrepreneurship all the time. And I find that it's still really relevant. I mean, yes, we're, we are not a startup anymore. But on the other hand, we are constantly starting up new enterprises within what we do and trying to get a balance between that entrepreneurial spirit with the accountability and discipline. And so I, I love the entrepreneurial process. I love hearing entrepreneurs talk about, about what they've done. So that really, really drives me personally. I still absolutely adore the creative process of watching. It doesn't have to be a concept that I've developed. Just watching anyone in our company develop a concept, create a manuscript, create illustrations, have a book come to life. It's a it's, it's creating a, a new baby every time. Mm-hmm. And then and then watching it come to life and watching our marketing team figure out who the right customers are for it. it it's a, I, I love the building, creating process. you got a lot of babies at this point, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask, I read somewhere, Maya, that um, at a certain point you and your husband decided that your marriage would be better off if you weren't working together. Yes. Talk about that a yes. little bit. What, yes. What, what happened? Yes. So Alan and I have a very strong relationship. We've we've worked together in a various capacities for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And when we work together, we, we do so very well in the sense of Alan is highly, highly creative and was um, always excellent at not only finding the right illustrators for a book, but managing those illustrators and also coming up with various marketing ideas for the business and contributing to the HR side of the business. Um, so he had a big influence across the whole business, not just the design side. Um, and I really love the the writing and the marketing and the business development side. So we've always been a good f- match in terms of working you together. Yes, each other we complement well. each other very, very well. And there were some parts that were really fun. We would go on business trips together and and could you know call it a business expense. <laughs> and so there were a lot of really really fun elements of that. The hard part was in in any business you. Have have issues that you're solving constantly and small large medium there's just a it, it's that is a constant process of solving issues and so i we found that at the end of the day now we've got the family issues that every family has of working through this that or the other and the business issues that were hard to turn off because we're both sitting there. And so dinner time would ping pong back and forth between business issues and personal issues. And and it it became something that we we just didn't want to keep 
doing that mm-hmm. any anymore. And so I think it was a good um, a good decision on both our parts to try to get some separation. Back. And how long ago was that? That was, it's been about three years now, three or four years. And do you really not talk about the business? You don't talk about I See Me when you're together on personal we time? We really, I, I try very hard not to because we have plenty of other things to talk about. And, and I've learned at the end of the day when I come home, I mean, Alan, I, I, sometimes I'm on the edge of my seat wanting to ask him some questions because I'd love to hear his feedback mm-hmm. on, on various topics. But I've hauled off from doing that because our goal was to try to separate church and state a little bit. And, um, and it's been more fun in our relationship by doing that. Hmm. You, it seems like you, you set out, you wanted to build a business you did it. Do you do you pinch yourself? Do you feel like, I mean, is this what you would have expected or is this completely different from what you had envisioned back when you were at right. business school? Wow, good question. I don't think I really knew what to expect. Both my parents are entrepreneurial, so I had some of that going on at home. Um, and I had seen success and failure with my parents growing up. And so I knew that sometimes there would be bumpy roads from seeing that experience. And today, I feel like so much of our success, and I'm I'm truly saying this, our, we have a leadership team that is really strong. And so... Being in a position, that's what I'm enjoying now a lot, is is watching this leadership team take the company forward. And my role has really evolved to making sure that our values are clear, our long-term direction is clear, what our growth initiatives are, we have a great culture, that we're hiring the right people and training the right people, and we're trying to remove those roadblocks. But the day-to-day running of the business is now in the hands of a really capable group, which has made my life better because the, one of the hardest things about this, um, and, and the other part that was harder on our relationship, was I was working around the clock. I was working at work, I was coming home, I was working after dinner till midnight, one, two in the morning, getting up again. And, uh, and that was not sustainable for my health or for our relationship. And so now having a team that I can really let go has made it much more enjoyable for me. You still like the business. I do. I love the business. And part of it is our mission is to bring joy and delight by making each child feel special. And so what a fun thing to be part of. We're creating products that make people happy. It's a creative process. And there's still a lot of growth opportunities that we see for the business, some of which feel like starting brand new businesses. We're we're moving into new markets and new end customers, which gets back to what drives me. Mm-hmm. Pets especially. Huh? Pets they buy the... a lot of books. <laughs> if pets could actually push the buy button, it would be very helpful. Uh, <laughs> yes, we, pr- we produce personalized books for people to give, called If My Dog Could Talk and If My Cat Could Talk. And those I had a lot of fun writing, being a pet lover, and uh, and watching families give to their... It usually is given to a pet lover themselves, about, and it's all about what the dog or cat... Thanks being part of your family. Mm-hmm. Well, and you believe in the future of books. That's yes. A, that's a good thing. Yes. Well, I know your books are still on our bookshelves. I'm sure they will be for a long time. Congratulations on all the success. I See Me is really a, a fantastic story. Maya Haig, thank you so much for being here with thank us today. Thank you. Stick around. We're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Before she built a successful business, Maya Haig was part of a couple of failed internet startups, and she talked about spending time learning within other companies. How could you use that sort of experience to the advantage of your next venture? Well, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Professor David Deeds is the Schultz Professor of Entrepreneurship. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. This you is came fun. back for more. Absolutely. This is entertaining. <laughs> You're so wise. Um, so you listened to my conversation. Mm-hmm. with Maya. What did, what did you find yourself thinking as far as takeaways for other would-be entrepreneurs? I really took away the process that she went through of developing, the learnings she undertook as she's going through it. Um, you know, she didn't, she had that two-year window where she's waiting for the artist to get things done. She didn't waste that time. Mm-hmm. She went out and she worked in internet startups and learned 
from their mistakes. Right. Learning on other people's money is always a good thing for yes. an entrepreneur. Yeah, but she you wasn't know? just a barista. Not that Mm-mm. there's anything wrong with that, but it was interesting that she very specifically yep. picked what she wanted to do. And it influenced how she ran her business going forward. She became very conscious of cash flow management. And businesses don't die from bad ideas as often as they die from lack of cash. Mm. And if you can't, you know, if you run out of cash and you can't pay the bills, suppliers don't keep doing things for you and you're done no matter how good the idea is. And she learned that through on other people's money and then was able to go through hard times. You know, she went through that recession. She went through the downturn um, and was able to manage the cash flow, keep the business alive, continue to grow it um, on the on the other side. And those lessons are really important for entrepreneurs. Cash is absolutely king. And so you've got to keep your eye not on the profitability. You've got to keep your eye on the cash flow. And you've got to understand that you've got to have working capital. And there's going to be up times and down times. And some people are going to pay really slow. And all those things are going to happen. And you have to be able to weather that right. and keep the doors open and keep writing the checks that are necessary to keep it running. And that's a mistake a lot of people make in entrepreneurship. She also had another really big advantage, which she had a well-employed significant other, which is one of the best things in the world <laughs> an entrepreneur could have because that well-employed significant other brings benefits like insurance and things and That is a pattern income. we've noticed here. And uh, so a well-employed significant other is absolutely beneficial and in some ways that is cash flow. Right. Because at that starting stage, your individual finances and your business finances are essentially inseparable. Mm-hmm. You know, Ford, Ford credit doesn't say, oh, don't make your car payment this this month because you're starting a business. No big deal. You're, you know, your mortgage company doesn't say, oh, take six months and don't pay us the mortgage. There's not an entrepreneurship pass for no, that stuff. No, no. Yeah, and so. so you've got to manage the cash flow. You've got to manage the personal and the business, but really in these early stages. And for a long time for you. I mean, I would imagine, given her story, for five, six, seven years, that those two pieces of cash flow were really combined because they're continually reinvesting and they've got to manage and they're relying on on his income from what she said. And then they were able to build this strong business that has become, you know, a very successful business for both her and for her acquirer chronicle. Right. So get a a spouse with a corporate (laughs) job and maybe spend a little time in corporate gigs yourself before launching. Yep. And and if you don't work for really dig in, observe, talk to other entrepreneurs, Learn the grunt work. Everybody hates accounting. Learn accounting. Sorry, folks. We all hate it. I hate it. But the bottom line is you've got to understand cash flows. You've got to understand your cash cycles. And that and managing that allows you to win. Well, great advice. Thank you, Professor Deeds. And thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love it if you could give us a great rating or review. I'm Allison Kaplan. And on behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. <laughs> <laughs>